Welcome to the Verity Podcast for Wednesday, December 20th, 2023, where we separate the spin from the facts. I'm Scott Wallace. And I'm Melissa Topshire with today's headlines. Over 120 people are killed in an earthquake in northwest China. The U.S. announces a Red Sea force to counter Houthi attacks. U.S. intelligence claims foreign actors tried to influence the 2022 midterms. Trump remains slightly ahead of Biden, according to a new poll. Texas Governor Abbott signs a bill allowing police to arrest illegal migrants. President LCC wins Egypt's election. International observers claim Serbia's elections were unfair. Pope Francis allows priests to bless same-sex couples. The UK releases trans guidance for teachers. And a volcano in Iceland erupts after weeks of seismic activity. In our first story, a deadly earthquake strikes northwest China. Here are the facts as agreed upon by USA Today, Al Jazeera, The Guardian, and CNN. At least 127 people were killed, and hundreds more were injured in a PRC-reported 6.2-magnitude earthquake in northwestern China late Monday. Authorities say that infrastructures such as electricity, water, and transportation systems were damaged. The earthquake hit close to midnight local time on Monday in the Gansu province near the border with Qinghai, causing significant damage to both provinces. The epicenter of the quake struck in a remote mountainous region that is one of the poorest areas of China. The quake triggered landslides, leading to an entire village being partially buried in silt. Thousands of structures were damaged, sending residents outside to freezing temperatures. Chinese state media has called the rescue efforts a race against time, as a cold front sweeps across China, with temperatures reported as low as negative 14 degrees Celsius, or 6.8 degrees Fahrenheit, on Tuesday morning in the devastated high-altitude region. More than 4,000 firefighters, soldiers, and police officers were dispatched to the area or placed on standby to contribute to the rescue efforts. Chinese President Xi Jinping has called for all-out efforts to find and rescue those trapped by the strong earthquake. Power and water supplies have been disrupted across the region. China's Finance Ministry and Emergency Management Ministry have allotted 200 million yuan, equivalent to 28 million U.S. dollars, in natural disaster relief funds to help the two regions hardest hit by the earthquake. The earthquake is the deadliest to hit China in nearly a decade since 600 people were killed in the southwestern province of Yunnan in in 2014. Nearly 90,000 people were killed in 2010 when a 7.9 earthquake hit the Sichuan province. Thanks for those devastating facts, Melissa. We have some narrative spins on this story, starting with the anti-China spin from Al Jazeera. Poor construction and lack of resources set this remote region of China up for disaster. Unfortunately, many of the buildings in the area were not built to withstand earthquakes. As a consequence, the response and road to recovery will be extremely challenging. Xinhua brings us a pro-China narrative. The PRC government is going all out in its rescue efforts following this disastrous earthquake. China has developed state-of-the-art disaster relief systems, including highly trained personnel and vital equipment. This is a tragedy that is being addressed by the full weight of these robust capabilities. And from time to time, we have nerd narratives from the Metaculous Prediction community. 
They say there's a 50% chance that at least 75,000 people will die as a result of the most deadly earthquake from 2020 to 2029. You ever been in an earthquake, Melissa? I have never. Knock on wood. Yeah. Uh, because I am in the ring of fire. You so. sure do live in the ring of fire. Yeah. Yep. You know, fingers crossed. I lived in the Bay Area for a while in California. And there's a popular style of house in the San, in San Francisco City itself where there's a garage on the bottom floor and then the house is like on the top floor. Oh, sure. And then there's an apartment in the back. So like the bottom floor is a small apartment and the garage. And then above that is like one or two floors of other apartment. And basically what will happen with those houses in an earthquake is the because it's the garage, there's less structural stuff. It's an open area. So basically that's just yeah. going to fall on the bottom apartment. The, the whole house is just going to drop one floor. Ah. And so you don't want to be in, in the bottom there. Apartment. Yeah. That, my, and believe it or not, my first apartment in San Francisco was definitely one of those back of the garage apartments. Oh, so. sure. Because I'm sure they're... The cheapest in town. Yeah, the cheapest and the worst. Yes, yeah. exactly. Yep. yep. The U.S. announces a 10-nation force to counter Houthi attacks in the Red Sea. Here are the facts as agreed upon by the Times of Israel, Al Jazeera, The Guardian, CNBC, The Associated Press, and CNN. U.S. Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin announced on Tuesday in Bahrain the establishment of a 10-nation force known as Operation Prosperity Guardian to protect trade in the Red Sea following attacks on shipping lines by Houthi forces in Yemen. Under the coordination of the existing 39-member Combined Task Force 153, launched in April 2022 to improve maritime security within the Red Sea, the Bab el-Mandeb Strait, and the Gulf of Alden, the new coalition comprises Bahrain, Britain, Canada, France, Italy, the Netherlands, Norway, Seychelles, Spain, and the U.S. Among the most notable absentees in the effort are regional powers, Egypt and Saudi Arabia, which likely refrained from signing up to the coalition due to heightened concerns in the Arab world about the Israel-Hamas war. The Houthis, however, vowed not to halt their military operations unless Israel stops its strikes on Gaza and lifts the blockade on food, fuel, and medicines, even if Washington manages to gather support from the entire world. Multiple shipping companies have suspended routes within the Red Sea, amid the deteriorating security situation, with oil giant BP announcing a suspension of all shipments through the Suez Canal on Monday, joining the growing list that includes freight giants CMA, CGM, Haypag Lloyd, Maersk, and MSC. Houthi forces have launched at least 100 attacks against 12 different commercial and merchant vessels over the past month in the key Red Sea shipping lanes, a level reportedly not seen in at least two generations. Thank you, Scott, for laying out the facts, and here are the spins starting with a pro-establishment narrative from Heretz. Though there's indeed a risk that a forceful response may escalate regional tensions to the point that Iran and its other proxy groups could engage in the conflict, Houthi rebels have left the U.S. and its allies with very few options to protect commercial shipping. Hopefully, this purely defensive task force and diplomacy will be enough to deter further attacks. Otherwise, a more offensive approach to the Houthis will be required. And Mayor News Agency brings us the establishment critical narrative. Yemeni Houthis have carried out military operations against ships bound for the Israeli-occupied territories through the Red Sea in a direct response to the relentless and unlawful Israeli war against the Palestinian people in Gaza. 
If the U.S. and its allies continue their move towards a coalition response against the Yemeni forces, they should expect both military and prestige defeats. Here's another prediction from the Metaculus community saying there's a 5% chance that the U.S. will intervene within the Israel-Gaza war before July 2024. I don't have much to say here, do you? Mm, shipping containers are cool. They are cool. <laughs> I think people are going a little too crazy with them, though, like building houses and structures out of them. I was actually reading an article. So, you know, they, they say, oh, it's this really efficient. You can build a tiny house out of a shipping container. Oh, uh, yep, yep. So those things are not insulated. They're, no. you know, they need to be significantly fitted to make it not just a, a metal box that sits in the sun that you right. die inside of. Um, <laughs> yeah, a house, I don't know, but the marina in my town has a, a little bar that uh, is one of those shipping containers. And, you know, if they've got some windows fitted into it as well. So you're not living there. You're going in, you, t- right. you get you get your beer and then you go out onto the lawn and watch the. Yeah. So in. it's a beer garden. That that, that sounds yeah. that sounds doable. Yeah. yeah. Cool. I mean, more. We could use more beer gardens in the world. Right. More beer gardens. Well, unless Se- Seattle has plenty material. of beer gardens. I think I could ar- I could argue that Seattle has more than its share of beer gardens. So could we use more? Maybe. But there's well, no shortage of of craft beer gardens in Seattle. I can that's say true, that. but you forget I'm down in the burbs now, so oh, I could that's use another true. one. Yeah, you could use a couple more. That makes sense. U.S. intelligence claims foreign actors tried to influence the 2022 midterms. Here are the facts as agreed upon by The Hill, NBC, New York Times, and WION News. A 2022 intelligence community report on foreign interference in that year's U.S. midterm elections that was declassified last week didn't find any foreign leaders who ordered a comprehensive influence campaign, but found that nations, including China, look at interferences as a valuable tactic. The report from the Office of the Director of National Intelligence, or the DNI, further states that Beijing tacitly approved efforts to try to influence several midterm races involving members of both Democrats and Republicans, depending on the candidates' attitudes on China policy. The report also said China was more willing to interfere in the 2022 election rather than in the 2020 because it did not expect the current administration to retaliate as severely as they feared in 2020. Russia and Iran, according to the report, also sought to meddle in the midterms, with Moscow targeting the entire election to undercut the Democratic Party and political support for Ukraine. Iran's efforts were probably smaller due to resource limitations. Russia, according to the report, conducted extensive research and analysis of U.S. audiences to determine how best to reach certain demographics. Cuba is also believed to have meddled in elections in Florida. Foreign actors use social media accounts, proxy websites, payments to influencers, and public relations firms to execute these operations. Melissa, the pro-establishment narrative comes from CNN. The U.S. must expose what foreign actors are doing because it's in the interest of America's enemies, who stand in defiance of U.S. values and democracy, to shape the minds of U.S. voters. Russia's attempt to brainwash U.S. voters might be successfully weakening U.S. support for Ukraine, and China knows it helps to have some sympathetic members of Congress. Awareness of these programs can help the U.S. government and citizens defend against them. Here's the establishment critical narrative from the Global Times. 
This report is nothing but a psychological operation by U.S. intelligence agencies and politicians to sway public attention away from their failures as elected leaders ahead of the 2024 elections. U.S. lawmakers have historically blamed either Russia or China for meddling in elections, but the only true revelations in this report relate to America's polarizing political divisions, which are really at fault for the nation's problems. And the nerd narrative from Metaculus, they predict a 15% chance that a state will officially submit results to the Electoral College that are different from the projected winner of that state in the 2024 presidential election. A new poll shows Trump holding a slight lead over Biden. Here are the facts as agreed upon by Fox 22 and ABC 7 of Bangor, Maine, The Hill, Fox News, Business Insider, CNBC, and The New York Post. U.S. President Joe Biden continues to lag behind Donald Trump in opinion polls, as a New York Times and Siena College national survey released on Tuesday showed the former president holding a slim lead over Biden. Trump is leading Biden 46 percent to 44 percent among registered voters, but Biden maintains a 47 percent to 45 percent lead among people likely to vote in the 2024 presidential election next November. However, Biden has been bleeding support among younger Americans, who have overwhelmingly supported Democrats in past elections. Of those polled, 9% remain undecided, but when they were asked to decide whom they would support at the moment, 39% favored Biden, a figure that has declined in several consecutive Times Siena polls. Biden's handling of Israel's conflict in Gaza has turned off many young voters, with 72% of respondents aged 18 to 29 disapproving of his administration's stance. According to an exit poll, Biden won that demographic by 21 points in 2020 and had a 10-point lead in a July poll. But Trump is now winning the younger demographic by six points, according to Tuesday's survey. Meanwhile, a CNBC poll also published on Tuesday reported that Trump is leading Latino voters by five points. Another core constituency of the Democratic base, Latinos have soured on Biden, who held a seven-point lead among the group just three months ago. Issues such as the economy and border crisis have reportedly weakened his standing. While Biden is seen as the likely Democratic nominee, some in his party, including former Obama chief strategist David Axelrod, say the president should resign to allow a more popular candidate to run. Meanwhile, former President Trump continues to outpace the Republican field and is forecast to secure the nomination, barring any legal issues. Thank you, Scott. Here's the Republican narrative from The Daily Caller. While it's not surprising to see Biden trailing Trump among registered voters, it's still startling to see traditional Democratic blocs like young people and Latinos switching over to Trump in droves. The Democrats spent decades building up support among key demographics, but Biden has thrown away years of inroads with his failed administration. Biden is in deep trouble, and if he can't even win the under-30 group, he has no chance of winning re-election. And the Eagle Tribune brings us the Democratic narrative. While the polls don't look great at the moment, it's far too early to call a victor, and Democrats need to start rallying behind their likely nominee. Biden isn't perfect. But he inherited a mess that Trump created and has gotten the country on the right track. Ultimately, Trump is the greatest threat to American democracy, and he cannot be allowed back in the White House. Biden won in 2020, and he can still defeat Trump in 2024. 
And here's another nerd narrative from Metaculus saying there's a 47% chance that Donald Trump will win the 2024 U.S. presidential election if he faces Joe Biden. In Texas, a new law criminalizes illegal immigration at the state level. Here are the facts as agreed upon by Forbes, Al Jazeera, NBC, The Daily Mail, and Fox News. Republican Texas Governor Greg Abbott on Monday signed into law a bill permitting state police to arrest migrants who enter the U.S. illegally. The law then allows judges to order the migrants to return back to Mexico. Abbott signed the bill in a ceremony at the border town of Brownsville while declaring it would cut illegal entry into the U.S. by 50 to 75 percent and make up for Democratic President Joe Biden's deliberate inaction at the southern border. Matters of immigration are typically handled by the federal government, but in recent years, Abbott's border enforcement program has allowed local authorities to arrest migrants on charges of misdemeanor criminal trespassing. The new law, which is scheduled to take effect in March, makes it a misdemeanor to enter or attempt to enter Texas from a foreign country anywhere but through a lawful port of entry. After being arrested, migrants can agree to leave under a Texas judge's order or allow for prosecution to take place. Migrants who don't leave and are arrested again would face felony charges. Previously, Abbott attempted to handle the influx of migrants to his state by busing more than 65,000 migrants to cities nationwide and installing razor wire along the banks of the Rio Grande River. Thanks, Melissa. We have a Republican narrative from Daily Wire. Millions of illegal immigrants are pouring into the U.S. across the southern border while the Biden administration just sits on its hands. The administration's catch-and-release policy is an epic failure, and it has left Abbott with no choice but to push the limits of state power to secure his state, the U.S. southern border, and the country as a whole. And here's the Democratic narrative from The Guardian. Abbott's far-right bill runs counter to the U.S. Constitution and shows disdain for immigrant communities. Already, the U.S. Supreme Court a decade ago struck down a similar law in Arizona. Abbott's solution codifies racial profiling by local police, and this xenophobic policy must be stopped before it takes effect. And we have another nerd narrative from Metaculus. There's a 47% chance that if at least one U.S. state secedes before 2071, Texas will secede. I was born near Brownsville. I was born in uh, in Corpus Christi. Well, is- tell us a Corpus Christi Brownsville story. Mm, we lived like 20 minutes from South Padre Island. So we used to go to the beach on a regular basis. It was awesome. Even though it was in the Gulf of Mexico, which like in, in other parts of the Gulf of Mexico, like we moved to Houston and then Galveston was not so great because there were tar balls everywhere. Uh, mm. But <laughs> but I remember South Padre Island was relatively clean and you could drive your car right up onto the beach, which, you know, this oh, was that's before. Cool. Yeah. Like before, like uh, the massive boom in population where it's like there are too many people here. Right. So that so there was like there's the cars here and there. And you could turn your radio on right from your car and have all your gear there. Like it's, uh, you know, like a tent or something. And. Yeah, that also, was good, those were good times. When they allow you to drive your car on the beach, it lets you know this beach is not being threatened so much by erosion. Whereas there's some beaches, we were in Jamaica last year, and every morning, the beach at the resort, there were people out there pouring sandbags on it. Like this beach <sighs> is is just it's, disappearing. It's, 
You're you like, know, save like, our hotel. People yeah, want exactly. sand. We want to be able to say we're a beachfront hotel and every day it's just go. We just have to dump a bunch of sand out there. Yeah. Whereas if you can drive your car out there, like they're not worried about erosion. This beach is on the come up. Egypt's LCC wins a third presidential term. Here are the facts as agreed upon by Al Jazeera, Sahara Reporters, Stratfor, CNN, Washington Post, and Associated Press. Egypt's National Elections Authority announced on Monday that President Abdel Fattah LCC has overwhelmingly secured a third and constitutionally final term in office, with 89.6% of the vote in the December 10th through 12th presidential election. This outcome was expected as LCC faced no serious challengers after the most credible opposition figure, the young presidential hopeful Ahmed Altantawi, failed to reach the endorsement threshold for candidacy. Yet voter turnout reached a record high of 66.8%. In power since leading the 2013 ousting of the country's first democratically elected leader, Muslim Brotherhood's Mohamed Mursi, LCC was first elected in 2014 with 97% of the vote and won re-election with an identical percentage four years later. He was eligible to run for a third term due to a constitutional amendment approved in 2019 to extend the presidential term limit to six years, as he had not cumulatively served as president for 12 years at the time of the election. Now the strongman and former general whose sinking popularity rebounded following the outbreak of the Israel-Hamas war will have to find ways to keep Egypt out of the conflict in Gaza as well as to avert a looming economic crisis. The Egyptian pound has lost half of its value against the dollar over the past 22 months, with monthly inflation surging above 30% and one-third of the country's 105 million people already living in poverty. Thank you, Scott. And here's an establishment critical narrative from RT. Despite the ongoing economic crisis, Egyptians flocked to polls as they had never done before with the clear intent to express their opposition to this catastrophic war in Gaza and their support to President el-Sisi, a stabilizing force in the region. The nation has delivered him such a resounding victory as it appreciates his leadership. The pro-establishment narrative comes from The Economist. Egyptian authorities have orchestrated an essentially sham election to let el-Sisi claim a broad mandate to advance some unpopular policies to deal with challenges that include the war in Gaza and the economic crisis, even harassing supporters of his main challenger to drop him out of the race. However, if he continues to fail to solve the problems, it's, it's very likely that his mandate will not last. And the nerds from Metaculus are at it again with a nerd narrative saying there's a 33% chance that Egypt will experience a successful coup d'etat before 2040. Yeah, apparently the Pizza Hut across the way is the best view of the pyramids. I was reading a thing. <laughs> oh my God. It's like one of those things where you see the pyramids from a certain view. If mm. you point your camera the right direction, you just get the beautiful desert and the pyramids view that we all know. But if you point it the other direction, it's just a bunch of pizza huts and stuff. Right. right so if you aren't the in the, yeah, if you weren't in the pizza hut, you'll get the pizza hut in your picture. That's right. Observers claim Serbia's elections favored the ruling party. Here are the facts as agreed upon by The Guardian, Bloomberg, Fox News, The Washington Post, BBC News, and Forbes. International observers of Serbia's early parliamentary elections claimed on Monday that the vote was held under unfair conditions, citing the decisive involvement of President Aleksandr Vucic and alleged systematic advantages to his Serbian Progressives Party, or the SNS. 
Representatives from the Organization for Security and Cooperation in Europe, the European Parliament, and the Council of Europe, who monitored the campaigns and some polling stations, further alleged there were cases of intimidation, pressure on voters, and vote buying. Meanwhile, thousands of protesters rallied outside the State Election Commission headquarters as leaders of the opposition Serbia Against Violence Alliance moved to lodge formal complaints claiming the concurrent Belgrade local election was rigged and demanding a rerun of the ballot. On Tuesday, however, the leader of the SNS, Milos Vucevic, praised the snap elections as an example of many other countries insisting they were free and fair. According to a near-final count, the SNS, which has been in power since 2012, is set to secure an absolute majority in the 250-seat National Assembly, as well as control of the capital, where the SPN had hoped to defeat former water polo star Alexander Sapich. Called in the aftermath of mass protests over two consecutive deadly shootings in May, Sunday's snap vote was the third time in less than four years that Serbians went to the polls. No government has completed a full mandate in little more than a decade in the country. Thanks, Melissa. Narrative A comes from B92. While some irregularities have indeed been noted in the Serbian snap election, the electoral process was well-managed and smoothly conducted despite previous worries. Observers reported only small-scale problems in the national vote, with no systemic irregularity being found on Election Day. Here's Narrative B from your active. It's disturbing that serious irregularities, such as misuse of public funds and vote buying, were reported in a country to which the European Union has granted a candidate status. Additionally, claims that tens of thousands of unregistered voters were allowed to illegally cast ballots in Belgrade's municipal election raise further concerns about the current state of democracy in Serbia. And a nerd narrative from Metaculus. There's a 45% chance that Serbia will be part of the European Union in 2050. Pope Francis allows priests to bless same-sex couples. Here are the facts as agreed upon by Vatican News, BBC News, ABC News, The New York Times, and Fox News. Pope Francis on Monday allowed Catholic priests to bless same-sex and, quote, irregular couples under some circumstances. However, the Vatican also reaffirmed that marriage is between a man and a woman and that such blessings shouldn't be a normal part of church rituals or related to civil unions. With the declaration Fiducia Supplicants, published by the Vatican's Dicastery for the Doctrine of the Faith and approved by the Pope, the Church distinguished between ritual and liturgical blessings, offering new considerations of welcoming those who don't follow its norms but wish to be blessed. The declaration allows blessings to be imparted when meeting with a priest, visiting a shrine, during a pilgrimage, or as a prayer recited by a group. It can't, however, occur during any union ceremonies or when there are any clothing, gesture, or words that are proper to a wedding. A blessing, the document clarifies, offers followers a means to increase their trust in God, adding that a request for a blessing is a seed of the Holy Spirit that must be nurtured, not hindered. However, the Church stands firm in its stance that people in irregular unions are in a state of sin and that it should steer clear of doctrinal or disciplinary schemes that can lead to narcissistic and authoritarian elitism. Meanwhile, as progressive Christian denominations have already begun offering such blessings as well as ordaining openly gay clergy, 
more conservative factions and Anglican, Methodist, and Presbyterian churches have broken away. Thank you, Scott. Here's the progressive narrative from ABC News. During his more than a decade as head of the church, Pope Francis has not only preached to his congregants about tolerance, but also taken concrete action to implement his beliefs into church teachings. Before this historic move, Francis had previously condemned countries that outlawed homosexuality, as well as allowed as well as allowed transgender people to receive baptism and become godparents. The Pope has taken a stand against anti-LGBTQ plus governments and clergy members across the globe to show that all are welcome in his church. And the conservative narrative comes from Town Hall. Pope Francis has not only insulted the church through his progressive tendencies, but also removed some members of the clergy for attempting to defend the actual teachings of Catholicism. Before the Pope officially welcomed gay couples into the church, he recently fired Bishop Joseph Strickland of Texas for undermining the deposit of faith. Furthermore, the Vatican never revealed the findings of its investigation into Strickland before revoking his pastoral authority. It seems Francis has abandoned the church in favor of the LGBTQ plus movement. And here's another nerd narrative from Metaculus saying there's a 50% chance the Catholic Church will elect a new pope by June 2025. The UK issues its first guidance for schools on transgender issues. Here are the facts as agreed upon by The Telegraph, WION, BBC News, The Independent, Daily Mail, and The Guardian. The UK government on Tuesday published its long-awaited draft recommendations for schools and teachers on transgender issues in England. The guidance touted as a parent-first approach directs teachers to tell parents if their child wants to change gender. The Department of Education has promised the guidance since 2018, but a draft had been delayed due to debate regarding the controversial issue. Education Secretary Gillian Keegan said that teachers and students aren't required to use different pronouns and maintained that parents' views must be at the heart of all decisions made about their children. The guidance also recommends that bathrooms and changing rooms should be separated based on biological sex and that children aged 11 and above not change or wash in front of the opposite sex. It also states that single-sex schools shouldn't have to admit pupils of the opposite sex and that children under 12 shouldn't use pronouns different from their sex. While the guidance does generally warn against social transitioning, a process in which children change their names, pronouns, and clothing without undergoing medical procedures, it doesn't prohibit the practice. Meanwhile, some schools have already said that they will not adhere to the non-binding guidance and will continue to implement their own policies related to pronouns and social transitioning. Some parents have reported schools socially transitioning their children without informing them. The draft guidance will be out for consultation for at least nine weeks before it's formally issued. All right, we have a progressive narrative on this story from the Pink News. This new guidance on transgender students is actively dangerous and threatens the well-being of LGBTQ plus youth. Whitehall officials are essentially telling trans students that their identities are invalid and they aren't owed the dignity to live out their gender identities. Rather than further disempowering an already marginalized community, the government should be seeking ways to support these vulnerable students. Here's the conservative narrative from GBN. Radical ideologues have infiltrated the education system across the Western world, 
stripping students of their innocence and pushing a divide between parents and their children. The government is working to protect the family unit with this guidance, which, contrary to criticisms, doesn't marginalize transgender youth, but rather brings parents back into the conversation. While it could be more forceful, it's a good start. Iceland's volcano erupts after weeks of seismic activity. Here are the facts as agreed upon by the Icelandic Meteorological Office, Reuters, The Guardian, and BBC News. Molten lava burst from the ground and lit up Iceland's skies after a volcano on the Reykjanes Peninsula in the country's southwest erupted late on Monday. The eruption has come after weeks of intense seismic activity near the fishing village of Grindavik, which was hit by a seismic swarm of over 1,000 small earthquakes in a span of 24 hours last month. This led to evacuation orders in November that were partially eased in recent weeks. According to the Icelandic Meteorological Office, a series of small earthquakes struck the peninsula at around 9 p.m. local time, which led to cracks in the ground and the subsequent eruption at 10.17 p.m. On Tuesday, the authorities said that the eruptive fissure is about 2.5 miles or 4 kilometers long, with its southern end almost 2 miles or 3 kilometers from the edge of Grindavik, adding the intensity of the eruption had been decreasing. However, officials have warned that low intensity doesn't indicate how long the lava will flow, but suggests instead that the eruption has reached a state of equilibrium. In addition, they caution that the size of the volcanic fissure was extending southward. Meanwhile, the Icelandic government has issued a statement assuring the eruption does not present a threat to life, adding there are no disruptions to flights to and from Iceland and international flight corridors remain open. Thank you, Scott. We'll start these spins with a narrative A from the Associated Press. This event is a spectacular show of the Earth's powers. Iceland, known as the land of fire and ice, sits on a volcanic hotspot in the North Atlantic, making it one of the world's best places to observe the phenomenon. Tourists, scientists, and volcano watchers will no doubt find it hard to stay away, especially as there are currently no threats to people or infrastructure. And Narrative B comes from Al Jazeera. While the volcano doesn't presently pose a risk to life, in part because of the government's preemptive and well-planned evacuation orders, there's no indication of how long the lava will flow. It's also unknown if this rapidly changing situation will deteriorate. This isn't a tourist attraction, and emergency officials are absolutely correct to express caution about potential dangers in the future. And the nerds have the final say, with the Metaculous Prediction community saying there's a 50% chance Iceland will be part of the EU in 2050. I would love to get on a plane right now and go to Iceland and take my my family and just go watch the volcano. Man, it's so cool. Yeah, I, what I would do if I was if I ran the world, I would take a private jet there as not to like jam up you know, the, the current air travel for regular people or emergency workers or whatever, sure. take my own jet. And then I would bring some sort of relief with me, like either a big check or some supplies or something to yeah. like justify to myself that I came here to deliver this check, but then right. totally, totally check out the volcano. Like that's you know, oh, better, yeah. get, better take a look at this thing so I can drop these supplies off where they are most needed. Right. Better get up right. close. You know, where's the best view of the volcano? That's where this that's where this case of Kirkland signature water needs to go. Right. That's the plan. <laughs> Thank you for listening to the Verity Podcast for Wednesday, December 20th, 2023.
Each day, we use machine learning to read about 5,000 articles from about 100 newspapers and figure out which ones are about the same stories. For each major story, our editorial team then extracts both the key facts that all articles agree on and the key narratives where the articles differ. To find out more about Verity, visit our website, verity.news, or download our app on the Apple App Store or Google Play. For Scott Wallace, I'm Melissa Topshire, inviting you to join us next time on Verity. Verity.